What's up, gang? I am Graham Coffey. This is the Dog Central Live Show coming to you on a Thursday evening, February 22nd. Hope you guys are all doing well out there. Um, want to particularly send good thoughts and uh, healing thoughts and hopes for healing to uh, anyone and everyone in Athens who has been affected by uh, the events of the last 24 hours, a couple of UGA students being lost. Uh, definitely a, a, a tough thing to go through, especially uh, for young people. Tragic to see young people lose their lives. So uh, thinking about all of you guys, praying for all of you and uh, wishing you the best. So, uh, yeah. With that said, let's get into it a little bit. Um, kind of felt like we were hitting the like doldrums of the off season. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves with Brian McClendon heading off to Tampa Bay to be the new wide receiver coach and passing game coordinator for the Buccaneers. And like very quickly, it feels like uh, we've, we've sort of like gotten right back into coaching carousel season. Um, so, you know, like let's start with the report that I put out last night um, latest on Del McGee and the Georgia Southern coach. Oh, I'm sorry. That's wrong. I'm supposed to say Georgia state. Sorry about that. Live TV. Tons of fun. That's better. Okay. Uh, so Del McGee and Georgia state. Um, I put out a report last night with the help of uh, Jason Brazell my partner uh with over at dog central that uh mcgee has been you know offered the job i want to put it this way uh nobody in college sports has ever offered a job until the ink is dry on their contract right so um you know from an administrative standpoint georgia state isn't going to say that they've they've offered anybody the job until they're announcing who the new hire is I am confident in our reporting that Del McGee has been offered the job. Um, he has agreed to his compensation with Georgia State. He is in the process or went through the process today of negotiating uh, his assistant pool and talking about, you know, kind of what what those things are going to look like in terms of uh, financial support from the university and, and all of those issues. Anyways, point being, this is far enough along to where uh, McGee and Georgia State are talking about the details and, you know, in, in the weeds in that kind of way. So I feel confident in saying that everything is still tracking towards him uh, being the next head coach of Georgia State. I would not be surprised if that is announced as soon as tomorrow, tomorrow being Friday. Um you probably will see an introductory press conference, I think, early next week. Um, so congratulations to him, first of all. Uh, he's been at Georgia since Kirby Smart's original staff was assembled. Um, you know, one, one of the original hires, him and Schumann are the last two remaining uh, original hires from Kirby Smart's first staff in 2016. And he's been really a cornerstone of what Georgia does and, you know, kind of talking about, what he did, I think, is a good way to sort of talk about what Georgia will be looking for. Uh, 
once this becomes official and, and he finds himself as the new head coach down there in Atlanta, Dell was a high school coach in the state of Georgia from, I believe, 2005 to 2012 at Carver Columbus High School and uh, played his high school football in Columbus, was was a guy who played his college ball in Auburn. Like he is, you know, SEC through and through, but also like Central Georgia high school football through and through. And um, when you talk about Dell's impact on the program, like, yes, you're going to talk about the running back position. You're going to talk about him you know, helping recruit James Cook and him being good enough at his job to where Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, uh, you know, came back for that 2017 season because they, they felt like there was more that they wanted to learn both from him and Kirby and just from the college experience. Like there's a lot that, that he's done from a running back standpoint, but also he created a level of trust between Georgia and their staff and Kirby Smart and what he was doing. And, the entire uh, state of Georgia and then the high school kind of football apparatus in the state of Georgia. Like Dell was a guy that everyone trusted because he had sit, sat in the seat that all of those high school coaches have sat in and understood their challenges, you know, knew what their lives looked like on a day in day out basis and, and understood, you know, who they were as people really. Uh, so I think that is the the thing that you're really trying to replace here is who is that kind of go between? And I'm not saying that the high school coaches don't trust Kirby Smart on his own; they do. But uh, with with McGee in the fold, you know, there was always kind of that other guy there that I think high school coaches looked at and said, like, "There's one of us here on staff," you know, in Athens, and he is helping, you know, guide things. And, and if he says it, we can trust him. So um, one of the names that was thrown around a lot in the wide receiver coaching search and in the early hours of that was, was Arkansas running back coach, Jimmy Smith. Uh, Jimmy Smith was the head coach at Cedar Grove, I think for six years before that, he was an assistant there for six years, spent 12 years coaching high school football uh, in the Atlanta area that's the guy, like, in my opinion, assuming everything crosses the finish line as it appears to be heading in the direction of with, with McGee and Georgia state, the guy that you, you go and get is, is Jimmy Smith because he checks those boxes from a developmental standpoint, what he did with rocket Sanders in 2022, turning that kid into a 1400 yard rusher. Uh, I think Arkansas in 2022 had, if I'm not mistaken, their, their best ever season ever from a rushing standpoint. I think they were seventh nationally in rushing yards and uh, you know, we're, we're at a really healthy per carry average. So that is the guy that I would want to go get. Um, if, if, if I am Kirby smart, I'm sure Sam Pittman is going to do absolutely everything he can to keep Jimmy Smith there. Um I don't know if this just comes down to straight money though. Like if it comes down to straight money, I think, I think Georgia will, will do what they, they need to do to get their guy within reason. Um, I think though, the, the opportunity, if you're a guy like Smith, who uh, obviously loves Sam Pittman has been loyal to Sam Pittman, you know, came, came with Pittman to Arkansas, but the, the that regime at Arkansas might not be trending in, 
the most healthy direction at this point. You know, I, I don't think that's a controversial thing to say that uh, if, if Arkansas has another bad season, they might be going through a, a coaching search of their own there. And so uh, if you're Jimmy Smith and Georgia comes calling and asks you to come coach running backs, you get to come back home, basically, you know, an Atlanta guy. And all of a sudden you're in a place where you have uh, probably the most secure coaching staff in the country. Like Kirby Smart's going to be the coach of Georgia until he doesn't want to be, would be my opinion today. So um, that is the direction that I think things would go. Um, and I think that, that that could move quickly. So the the natural question after that is, where is UGA on the front of replacing Brian McClendon? Um, there's been a lot of different names that have kind of floated around. Uh, you know, Smith was one of them in the early going. Obviously, he'd be a better fit, I think, as the running back coach because that's what he's coaching right now. But uh, the two names that I'm kind of watching closest at this hour are uh, Georgia Tech receiver coach Josh Crawford and former Georgia uh, OC quarterback coach, wide receiver coach, assistant head coach, I think at one point, James Coley, which I know a lot of Georgia fans, uh, when they hear that name, might not be super thrilled with the idea of like James Coley coming back because uh, 2019 was a, a very rough year for Georgia offensively. I think the thing that I would remind everybody of is like there's a very big difference between, you know, the the things and skills that are needed from a position coach versus the skills that are needed from a, a play caller. I think Coley is a good offensive mind. You know, there's a difference between uh, being a good offensive mind and being some somebody who necessarily adjusts well in game or you know, makes good decisions when the, the play clock is running down. Like you have to make decisions quick as an offensive coordinator in the booth. And Georgia's 2019 offense was, was limited in some ways from a personnel standpoint, but I, I obviously I think there were things that they could have done better and Kirby smart agreed. And that's why he brought Todd Monken in. So um, Coley was Georgia's wide receiver coach in 2016 and 2017. In particular, I thought he did a really good job with, Nicole Hardman, Terry Godwin, Javon Wims, Riley Ridley. Like I, I thought he got a lot out of those guys and uh, obviously was an ace recruiter. Like if we're talking, you know, Coley, yes, he recruited a lot of offensive talent, but he also brought in a lot of guys from the state of Florida that, that were not in his position room. Like he has deep, deep South Florida ties going way back. He's a Miami guy. Uh, he was, you know, involved with Tyson Campbell's recruitment was involved with the George Pickens recruitment. He was primary recruiter for Dominic Blaylock. He was primary recruiter for Tyreek Stevenson, uh, helped out heavily with James Cook coming out of Miami. Like the dude, acquires talent and there's there's two arguments that you could make there one is like it's the nil era everybody just go and buy a roster well i i think that you know we've all seen that is a dangerous line to walk for a lot of programs like if if you're only going out and landing guys that are making decisions solely based on nil then 
you're probably going to have some team chemistry issues. Like we, we saw that at Texas A&M when, when Coley was on staff there. And obviously that wasn't him driving that, that decision process. But um, I would expect for, for Georgia, you know, to Kirby smart with his hires this off season has continued to prioritize recruiting Dante Williams, all these guys, like they are recruiters and, I think if you bring in Coley, he's a recruiter. If you bring in Josh Crawford, also a recruiter. Crawford is very good recruiter. Another guy with with deep Georgia ties. You know, uh, was on that Western Kentucky staff with uh, Tyson Helton, I believe, and and that that whole crew up there that was very explosive. You know, was was one of the leading passing attacks in the country. I think he was the outside wide receivers coach for that staff. Like. So good mixture of development with recruiting skills. Um, Coley's probably your more established, higher floor kind of, you know, known commodity. Crawford, young up and coming kind of guy. Not saying he's super young, but like he's, you know, probably a guy that, you know, you, you may – have the potential to kind of promote up through the ranks over the years. And he might take on some bigger roles on your staff as time goes on. Uh, Coley, I think can come in and be very effective for Georgia help out in a lot of ways, uh, be a very big asset on the recruiting trail, but I'm also just not sure if he is, you know, I, I think he, you hire him to coach wide receivers and that's probably what he's going to do for the duration of his time. Um, so, We'll see how it pans out. I'm interested in uh, watching it all kind of play out. I think that if you're a Georgia fan at this point, there shouldn't really be any anxiety over Kirby Smart making these types of hires. Like, you know, losing McGee is is a big deal. But I also think, uh, you know, Kirby's kind of established what's going on at Georgia well enough at the where I think you can manage that that loss a lot better than you might have been able to manage it pre-2021, 2022, when you won the back-to-back national titles. Um, what George has accomplished under Kirby kind of speaks for itself now. You're not really selling, you know, the the potential of the future. You're selling the, the, the known things that have already happened. So that is uh, – my two cents on that, basically. Um, moving on, uh, you also have some, you know, other things happening in the Georgia football world besides all this coaching stuff. I do have some questions from our users. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube and you have a question, feel free to drop it in the chat. Um, start out with this one. Carson Beck is currently the Heisman favorite. Do you think he has a realistic shot at winning it? I do. Yeah, I do. I think that I think he has a realistic shot at winning it. I think that Carson is an easier sell as a Heisman candidate than like say Stetson was, uh, because Stetson was, you know, Stetson was always kind of like saddled with like the you know, the two star walk on kind of label, the JUCO transfer, all of that. Like I think people, you know, struggled to understand how good he really was because they had this like preconceived notion of uh what his talent level really 
was, you know, and I, I think that they were tripped up by that at times. Like there was a lot of people in college football media who spent years saying, you know, Stetson can only be a game manager. And then he started doing things beyond that. And they said, well, Stetson can be a really good college quarterback, but he's never going to be an NFL prospect because he doesn't have the the physical talent. And then obviously, you know, shows that he has the physical talent, that he has the arm strength, and he ends up becoming a third-round pick in the NFL draft. I think with Beck, it's a lot easier for the the mass college football media to look at things and say, this dude's 6'4", you know, he's 200-something pounds, like he's got the size and the the arm strength of your your prototypical NFL kind of pocket passing prospect. And uh, that registers and computes, I think, a lot better for people. If you're the starting quarterback, especially a returning starting quarterback, on a team that is in the national title hunt, you're always going to have a chance at the Heisman Trophy, especially if you're an established winner like Georgia is at this point. Like, yeah, I think – he has a realistic shot at winning it. The question is going to be stat-wise, like how does Georgia manage that? Um, the interesting thing about Georgia quarterbacks over the last couple of years, like Carson in 2023 and Stetson in 2022, is that in reality, their best statistical games were often against the, the best teams that Georgia played. And Georgia would kind of, you know, not really run – a lot of stuff that that they wanted to you know keep off tape until they were playing better teams that you know they thought would be more competitive with them or that would at least have a shot to be more competitive with them like Beck's two best games in my opinion last year were uh, against a ranked Kentucky team and against a, a ranked Ole Miss team so this year with the schedule being longer and with the just the difficulty that Georgia has with road games at Texas, Ole Miss, Alabama. You have a road game at Kentucky in week two. Like, I don't know if Georgia is going to – Georgia's kind of used games as practice at times the last couple of years, if we're being honest here. Like, you know, they've, they've often kind of run game plans in certain situations where it's like, you know, we, we want to work on this before we get to the end of the season and play in elimination games. Like – I think in 2024, you know, if you, you, there's a good chance Georgia will play 16 or 17 games next year. Like, I think you got to go out there and you got to blow people out. Like, you got to get Carson Beck out of the game, you know, early, as early as you can. And so that probably does lend itself towards like him, you know, having some games where it's, you know, maybe Carson only had 16 to 18 attempts, but, you know, he, he threw for, 15 yards an attempt in this game and threw for a couple touchdowns and like Georgia was explosive on offense and all of that good stuff. I think that's kind of how you have to play it. So it'll be interesting to see. And I, you know, we obviously won't know until we know with that kind of thing. I think that season opener against Clemson is, is going to set a tone for him in a major way. Like, you know, Stetson's 2022 game against Oregon, was when people kind of started to say like, oh, all right, you know, this dude just threw for 300 yards. Uh, he made some plays with his legs. Like, I, I think Beck can kind of make an early statement against Clemson. Uh, you go to Kentucky on the road in week three. 
that's another opportunity. And then you get the, the, the Bama, Texas, Ole Miss games. Like people are going to be watching Georgia all year. And I don't think that Georgia has to go 12 and 0 through the regular season for him to be in serious Heisman conversation. The, the Heisman is not a totally a quarterback award as we saw with Devonte Smith, but it's become a, a quarterback focused award for sure. And so I think for Georgia, you know, you kind of look around the rest of the country, like you could argue that Carson Beck is maybe the, the most known commodity in the country this year coming into this year at quarterback. Other guys will emerge for sure, but like, you know, voters for the Heisman are going to know his name and they're going to hear it a lot over the next six months. And then they're going to hear it a lot throughout the season and they're going to hear it a lot from NFL people. And, and there's going to be a consistent conversation around Carson Beck and his play. And I think that will help him because, you know, there's, there's not a Caleb Williams coming back next year. Like there's not a Drake may there's not even really a Bo Nix, honestly, like for 2024. I mean, Who's the guy, like, you know, other than Beck? Like, I know we don't think Jalen Milrow is winning a Heisman, do we? Like, we don't really believe that he's winning a Heisman with his arm unless something changes dramatically. At least I don't. I'm happy to eat crow if he proves me wrong. You know, I don't have anything against the kid. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, man, you know – a good a good player for sure, but like he's going to be up at Oregon, and he could have a really good season. But with what Nick's just did, I think that might actually sort of discount his results somewhat. Um, you got Nico at Tennessee. That offense has the ability to put up big stats. Let's see. Kids played one game. You know, let's just let's see. I don't know. Um, Quinn Ewers at Texas is one to watch for sure. Like I think him and Beck might be the two, you know, kind of one A one B in terms of just like best quarterbacks coming back in 2024. But yeah, there's not the, uh, the whole sort of, you know, deep roster of, of Heisman favorites like there has been in, in years past. Um, got a question here from kiss my grits. Love that username. Very excellent. Thank you for joining us tonight, Mr. or Mrs. Gritz. Um, are you shocked that the CFP committee are already talking about a 14-team playoff and we haven't even kicked off a 12-team format? I'm not shocked by anything at this point. Am I? Do I like it? Absolutely not. You know, I, I think we've seen that the CFP committee and the, the general – college football decision-making apparatus does not make decisions for folks like me or you. Like if you're the type of person that is watching a, a show, a live stream with me in late February at nine o'clock at night, then you're not the college football fan that these people are trying to reach. These people are trying to reach your brother-in-law who does not watch college football for you know the first three months of the season, but when it's Christmas time and his you know his in-laws are getting on his nerves and it's slow and everybody's you know hanging out during the holidays, 
he slips off and he, you know, turns on a college football game as a, as a distraction. Like that's the guy who college football is trying to reach. And that sucks. Like it's, it's, you know, tragic is probably too strong of a word, but like it is a really sad, sad situation because this sport has always had the best regular season of any sport. And that is what has made it, I think, so dramatic and has brought us like so many memorable moments over the years is that you can have a week six game in college football where it feels like the entire world is on the line. I don't know if you're going to get that as much now. Um, I think that the, the college football playoff committee, like they're not running a postseason that is designed to, crown a champion that's indicative of who the best team was throughout the year. I don't think that they're running the postseason necessarily from the viewpoint of, you know, how can we put out the best product? I think that they're, they're running a pro season from how can we put out the best television product? Like that is what is driving all of this is, is money. That's what's driving everything in, in college sports these days. I, you know, 14 is such a weird number, but so is 12. Um, I don't know why we skipped over eight, but yeah, like the idea that we're already expanding the 12 team playoff before we've ever played a 12 team playoff seems a little bit like out, outside the realm of sensical action. I, I think that there needs to be some sort of trial and error here. You know, I I have been a, a very large proponent of getting rid of these these four conference champions automatically getting the top four seeds because I think if you're going to have a seeding system, then that seeding system needs to be accurate one through twelve. You need to have the twelve best teams put in order one through twelve. That way, the results are fair. Like if you're, you know, the let's say that you're the seventh best team in in the, in the seeds. And all of a sudden, you know, you have to play some sec championship game loser who was 12 and zero in the regular season and, and got upset by a team that's probably inferior, but is actually the best team in the country. Like you're going to be pissed and you should be, you know, so should somebody, if, they get to play like the fourth seed being a a four loss Arizona team who's a Big Twelve champion that screws up the whole order of everything. So there there needs to be that getting rid of too. You know, I I think honestly uh, this fourteen team playoff is is probably a, a proposition at least from what I've read and seen and talking to a few people. Like it seems like this is just a a way for the SEC and Big Ten to secure more spots in the deal. That's – I don't have a problem with that necessarily, but I I kind of do, I guess, truthfully, just because, like, if five of the 12 best teams are from the SEC one year, then put those teams in, or five of the 14. I don't care how many it is. If, you know, if seven of the best 12 teams are, are from one league, then put those teams in. I don't care, but let's also not go – allocating spots before a season happens. Like I've seen some years where the SEC is weaker than others. You know, I've seen some years where like, yeah, they probably do have four of the 12 best teams. I've also seen some years where they don't. 
And that's true for the Big Ten especially as well. I mean, let's be honest, like you get Ohio State and Michigan fighting it out for the first spot for the last two decades or so in the Big Ten. And then you got Penn State occasionally being competitive. But like just because Penn State's 10 and 2 in the Big Ten or 9 and 3 in the Big Ten doesn't make them one of the 12 best teams because I've seen Penn State go 10 and 2 a lot without beating anybody. So, no, let's stop allocating playoff spots before we even know what the teams look like. There might be a year where the Big 12 needs two bids or three bids or whatever. Uh, let's just get the 12 best teams or 14 or whatever the number is, put them on the field. Let's stop pandering to what we think the sport is going to look like in a decade and let's respond to what the sport looks like in real time every year. That seems like the sensical action. Yeah, you, you make a good point here. Agree with all your comments. I wouldn't care if UGA ever played for an SEC championship game again. I'd rather have that week for the team to rest and heal. I've talked about this on Twitter a good bit this week, but there is an argument to be made that in, in a lot of years, you probably would rather be the third team in the SEC than the second team and have to go play against, you know, let's say you've got, I'm just hypothetically speaking, let's say you've got LSU and Alabama and, you know, they're both kind of the second and third team in the SEC. And then you got Georgia as the first team, for example. Like, if I'm LSU or Bama, I would much rather start my playoff run having not gone and gotten beat up by the best team in the country. Like, let me sit out. I'll, I will I don't care about the the – the automatic bid, the chance that I might get an automatic bid if I pull off an upset when I'm a 10-point underdog. No, like rest your guys and move on. So that is my opinion. Um, moving on, this is from Joe. Do you think Georgia adds a quarterback during the next transfer portal window? I think they'd like to. I think, yeah, I mean, they definitely would like to be at the four-quarterback four scholarship quarterback spot. Um, I, I know that Kirby Smart has, I think, been pretty outspoken about wanting four scholarship quarterbacks. One thing that is interesting about the whole quarterback depth situation is that uh, I've been told by a couple of people that, like, seeing what happened to Florida State last year made an impression, not just on Kirby, but I think on a lot of coaches throughout the country. Seeing a team who – went undefeated in the regular season, but like really became rudderless when their starting quarterback went down. That's the type of thing that freaks coaches out because especially now moving into a, an era with this expanded playoff, like you don't want to be sitting there with a team that you think is the best in the country or one of the best in the country that is just totally hamstrung by one position. You That's just – a shitty place to be and coaches aren't going to want to be in that spot. So I think Georgia is really like approaching this uh, as we want three quarterbacks, not that, you know, are on scholarship. We want three quarterbacks that we feel like can go in and play and win football games, win competitive football games. Um, you know, I, I think that Georgia has made kind of some, some significant commitments from an NIL st in a lot, wait, NIL standpoint, sorry, from an NIL standpoint to 
secure guys that were on their roster who they didn't want to leave. Like I, I think Georgia, you know, is is really, really trying to stack the depth in that room. They like Puglisi a lot. So that will factor into this. Like he's already kind of shined a little bit. Um, but I don't think they want to be in the spot where they're gonna have to play a, a true freshman or anything like that. So yeah, if there's a guy out there who uh, let's say like is similar to Jaden Maiava who almost came to Georgia where uh, lots of potential has a lot of tools, but probably needs a year to kind of really learn the offense and understand what the challenge is going to be like week in and week out at this high P five level that wants to, you know, come to a place where he's going to have a shot to win a national championship and start for a season or two, then, Georgia will definitely, I think, get involved from a portal standpoint. All right. Uh, how confident is Georgia about Jared Wilson's predicted performance at center next year? Feels like a critical position we're replacing. That's from Ben. Uh, it's definitely a critical position. No doubt, Ben. I'm, I'm with you, man. Um, yeah, Cedric Van Pran was so good for so long for Georgia that I think you kind of forgot he was there. And in some ways – you know, that I think that's a compliment often uh, for, you know, for offensive linemen. Like he was just so steady that, you know, you, you forget he's there because you're not seeing low snaps or high snaps. You know, you, you forget he's there because guys aren't coming through the A gaps when, when he's in a football game. Like occasionally, you know, he'd come around and pancake somebody and then you'd, you'd remember that the big set was playing. But uh, he was great for Georgia both on field and off field. He was a very big team leader. I think that's going to be probably harder to replace, you know, than his on field production. Not that he wasn't productive, but I, I had, you know, some, some people, multiple people who watched, you know, large portions of, of fall practice last year tell me that Jared Wilson, like is elite, you know, that, that was the, the word used is elite, not, He's good, not we like him, not we think he has a lot of potential. They think that that kid has the potential to be, you know, a high-round draft pick and an, another guy who's in the conversation as the best center in the country. Um, the best news for Georgia is that he spent the last couple of years uh, like he was Van Pran's little brother. You know, I mean, he followed that guy everywhere. He – you know, took reps behind him, taking shadow reps. Like he learned as much as he could from Cedric Van Pran while he was around. And, you know, I, th I think kind of understands the, what he's trying to replace and uh, is eager to take on that responsibility and is probably enlivened by that challenge. So I think it's good news for Georgia that, you know, he, he kind of stayed around. I think there was a period there where, you know, maybe a year ago or so, like he realized he's very good and that he could play right away almost anywhere else. Um, decided that, you know, he wanted to start and be the center at Georgia one day instead of transferring out. And uh, I think that's decision is going to pay off for, for both parties in this case. So I'm not concerned about him. Um, you know, confidence, I would say, is, is very high or if, if the bar is like, you know, replacing an All-American, I, th I think that you should feel pretty good about uh, 
his chances of, of sliding in there and you know having a pretty good beat on things right off the bat. All right. Um, what else do we have here? I think that's it, guys. Unless any of you guys have any more questions. Um, yeah. So just to recap, if any of you joined late, because it looks like there's a lot of people that are live viewing right now. Um, feel very good about our reporting on Del McGee that we put out on Wednesday night. Um, expect him to be the next head coach at Georgia state. Uh, believe that, uh, things are almost all the way finalized there. I know that he had a, a meeting with the, the folks at GSU today, um, getting all the, the details hammered out on assistant pools and, and all of those things. So, um, yeah, I, I expect him to, you know, be the head coach at Georgia State, and I expect that announcement to be very, very soon. Um, other than that, keep up with us. Uh, keep up with me on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, Coffee, C-O-F-F-E-Y-D-C. Uh, you can also read all of the, the inside notes and find out about all the things that are going on behind the scenes over on the Dog Central Forum at the Players' Lounge. So I'd love to see you guys there. Hope you all have a excellent end to your week and a fabulous weekend. And uh, once again, sending thoughts, prayers, good vibes, and, and all the love that we have uh, to, to everybody in Athens that's uh, dealing with some of the scary stuff that's been going on there last 24 hours. Thinking about you guys.